I'm Billy Sanderson. Good evening. I'm Josh Miller, and this is the Modern Go Rider Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Modern Goat Rider Podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to emphasize the opinions expressed by our hosts and guests are strictly their own and do not represent the positions of any lodge, grand lodge, or other branches of the independent order of Oddfellows. Fascinating conversations will be open to the public for the purposes of inspiring our global membership and promoting the order. So sit back, open your ears, and your heart in your hand while I introduce you to our hosts. Friendship, love, and tuition? Do the Odd Fellows give college scholarships? You bet they do. It's not just Golden Rule, it's a Golden Comic. Meet Patriarch Author. The longest interview ever. He was a prospect ready to join, then COVID hit, but he remained engaged. That and more on the Modern Goat Rider Podcast, a podcast that will never give up on you. Did you know that there are scholarships available from the Sovereign Grand Lodge and Grand Lodges of your jurisdiction? Josh catches up with Heather Hunt, a fifth-generation Oddfellow who has put herself through university with such scholarships. Heather, so how are you actually connected to the Independent Order of Oddfellows? So I'm actually a fifth-generation member of the Oddfellows. Most of my family has been in the Rebecca, so the women's branch. And then I grew up in Theta Row as well, which is the branch for young girls. How was your experience uh, early on as a kid in Theta Row and um, with the Odd Fellows over those generations or your grandparents, your parents? Yeah, it was really a family affair. And I learned a lot about like public speaking and being a leader and doing community service. So I gained a ton of skills from there that ended up helping me in real life. And it was just a weekly thing. There was always a lodge meeting happening or an event or a dinner or a potluck. So it was always around every week. Do you want to give a shout out to your home lodges? Yeah. So I grew up in Alpha Theta Row number one in Grand Junction, Colorado. And then I joined Rebecca Lodge from Grand Valley number 40, which is also in Grand Junction. Amazing. Um, So how did you find out originally that there were funds available for post-secondary education through scholarships from the Odd Fellows? So with Theta Row, I got to travel to a lot of the international um, conferences and some of the people from the Educational Foundation reached out to me to make sure that I was applying for all of them before I even started college. And how was that experience? Um, Are they, were they difficult application process or was it, uh, it was pretty straightforward? No, so a lot of them require that you do know or an odd fellow or be in a family with an odd fellow or have some sort of affiliation. And then the applications mostly ask about your community service hours, your leadership in your community, and then some short essays usually. Can, can you describe how your first uh, scholarship uh, from the odd fellows went? Yeah, so my first one was actually a state level one because when I started, you couldn't get the national ones until you were in college. So I applied to Rocky Mountain Lodge number two's um, scholarship, and they had been waiting since I was a baby to be old enough to apply for it. So I put in for that one and got some extra community service hours to put on it. And I got that one for my freshman year of college. What did you have to do to apply for that scholarship specifically? 
So that one you could write an essay about a topic of your choice at the time. And so I wrote about my connection with the Odd Fellows and how it had helped me learn how to serve in my community. Great. How much was it for? Um, that one was for $2,500. Wow. That's and that was the impressive. state level one. And how many scholarships did you end up receiving from the Odd Fellows over the four years of college? So I got that Rocky Mountain Lodge one three times. So that was $2,500 a year. And then I got the Ingstrom Trust Scholarship for my region once, and that was $4,000 at the time. And then this last, my senior year, I got the Betty Moats Science Education Scholarship, and that was $5,000. And on each of those, did you have to do some sort of essay, or was it, was it pretty much just put your name into a hat? No, each of them included essays, yeah. That's and usually you, the main you focus. Were there a lot of people applying for those when you like, was there a big competition between you and a bunch of other people? Because what I've heard is most of these scholarships, they're almost, you know, almost nobody knows about them and nobody even applies. Yeah, and that was the great thing for me, but it would be great to have more people know that they're available to them, especially because you could just be a sibling or a friend. You don't have to directly be an odd fellow, but usually it pulls in new members too. And do you find, are most of these, um, scholarships just for people from the United States or do you know if there's other jurisdictions that are it's available to as well? I believe most of them are also available to residents from Canada. I'm not positive but I know a few of them are. So once you most of these are still available you set you put up a link for that and we'll attach that to the uh to the uh podcast. Do you remember what that link was? Um, yeah, so it's just the educational foundation. So it's on the IOOF main page, and then you can go to the education foundation. So many lodges uh, out there, if you have uh, kids who are entering college or uh, on their are already in college, they should go and check out this foundations page. And uh, it gives all it gives many different examples of the different scholarships that are available. Um, did you, do you find that, I mean, it's pretty neat that uh, these, uh, these scholarships basically, they almost paid for your entire schooling, is what you said. It's incredible. Um, do you think that makes you want to give back to the order? Yeah, I would love to, once I find a lodge here in Arizona, to make sure that they maybe get a scholarship set up for their lodge. So you're currently not part of a, a lodge right now? So I'm still a member of um, Grand Valley number 40 in Grand Junction because I just moved here a few months ago. So I right. have not found a lodge here yet. Is there, are there lodges uh, <laughs> active in Phoenix? I believe so. Yeah. Cool. Cool. We'll find out for you. Um, what's the, what's the, what would you recommend for uh, kids, students, parents in how to apply for these benefits? What's the best way to go? So I would start with the um, national level ones on the educational foundation page and look through and see which one applies best to you. So they're not just for traditional college students. There's one for vocational and technical schools. There's one for non-traditional students, for agriculture students, for science students. So find the one that fits you the best and then really go hard on that one. And then also check with your local lodges for those state level scholarships. That's great. I'm very interested. I'm, a, I'm only a first generation Oddfellow. So can you tell us a little bit about the history of your family in Oddfellowship? And if you know, if you know, like how far it goes back, you said fifth generation. So yeah, so being fifth generation. So my great great grandparents were in it and they did both. I think they started with just Oddfellows and then it traded over and they started doing Rebecca's more. And then my grandma was a Rebecca and my mom was a Rebecca. And we've all worked our way through the chairs at both local and state level. 
Um, my mom is gonna be president of Colorado's assembly in a couple years. And what's her name? Uh, Bertina Hunt. All right, Bertina, keep on, keep on doing it. Is there anything else that you wanna talk about regarding Odd Fellowship? Is there anything that's really uh, special in your mind regarding um, our order and uh, what's going on? Yeah, um, I also, when I was younger, went on the youth pilgrimage that they put on every year. And there's also scholarship opportunities during the speech contest part of that trip. And that was a, I believe, two-week trip all over um, New England. And you get to go to New York and Washington, D.C. and see all of those places and meet people from all over the world. They have delegates. So you get to meet some odd fellows from other countries, too. So that's really fun. And you did that? Yeah. Yeah, I got to do that one. Did you have to do uh, win a speech competition for that one? So you applied and then they chose, um, I believe, two boys and two girls from each state or whatever that state could fund. Do you mind talking about Theta Row a little bit and giving us a, a story? We don't have a Theta Row in BC uh, anymore. So maybe give us a frame up of how it works and stuff. Yeah. So in Theta Row, you can join at, oh, I believe it's eight years old. They're looking at changing it. Um, and you just start going through the chairs just like you would in Lodge. And we have our own rituals and um, you work your way through the offices and it really, you can see a huge difference in girls from the first year that they join to the second and they get those public speaking skills. They work on their reading skills. They learn how to communicate with adults around them. They start doing service in the community on their own accord without being told they need to do it. So it's really cool to watch those girls grow through it. And there's a, um, a guy, like an adult guide or mentor with every lodge, correct? So each um, Theta Row club will have at least one um, Rebecca sponsor, and I believe usually two. We always had at least three that would hang around. And then a lodge will also sponsor you, and that's where you hold your meetings. And those members from the Rebecca or the Oddfellow Lodge really help you out, let you use their space. They'll have joined events with you sometimes. You'll have fundraisers together. So that's really fun to get to join with the older generation. So what was your favorite fundraiser or activity you did during your tenure? So to fund, to raise funds for our building, we would have a spaghetti dinner every few months. So we would have a big spaghetti dinner that was based on donations. And that was when we got to really have the Rebecca Lodge and the Theta Row Lodge join together and kind of socialize. That's very cool. Thanks. Mm -hmm. And Heather, finally, what's the, uh, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you uh, regarding the Oddfellows? <laughs> Let's see. There's probably so many growing up in there. Oh yeah, at, at my first Theta Row Assembly. So I was state president twice in Colorado. And at my first assembly as president, I got locked in the bathroom during a recess, during the main meeting, the main meeting of the assembly. And I was locked in the bathroom upstairs in one of the old lodge halls where the door handle gets jammed. And then it happened again the next year during my second year of presidency. So two years in a row, I got locked in the bathroom I was like, where's our president? <laughs> what is the odds of that happening twice, <laughs> two years in a row getting locked in the bathrooms? That is hilarious. So uh, for future uh, reference, we would just never go to the bathroom right before the assembly. Is that what we do? Maybe in the newer ones. <laughs> hilarious. Okay. Thanks so much, Heather. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, maybe we can check in with you uh, when you find a lodge and you can let us know what's going on in Phoenix. Okay, thanks so much, Heather. We'll talk to you soon. For having me. Yeah, anytime. That was Heather Hunt. We reached her in Phoenix, Arizona. If you're looking for more information about scholarships, go to IOF.org.
and click on Our Programs. Carreria introduced us to Michael Douglas, a grand high priest of Washington encampment who couldn't deliver his message in person, so he used a graphic media to reach the people instead. So we're here with Michael Douglas, and uh, we're reaching him in Seattle, Washington. How are you today, Michael? Life is good. Fantastic. Survive midwinter. Rain and Zoom, correct? Yep. Um, so, Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about your Odd Fellows history? Well, um, I, how long have I been in this thing? I think about 10 years. You know, I was, I, and I was, I was in the Odd Fellows building uh, with a spiritual group I work with uh, on a regular rental basis for at least 10 years before that. And, um, and that was the, uh, the old Odd Fellows on Capitol Hill um, which was a beautiful old building that we lost. Long story there. And I, I uh, then, then my group moved to Ballard and we were meeting in the Ballard Hall. And I joined because I had fallen in love with the building and with the, um, with the place that it had in the community. And, it's, um, and I wanted to support that. You know, it seemed like a vital and and possibly disappearing aspect that was worthy of support so i joined the odd fellows which I, I really had not much clue about at the time and then it then it uh it it ate a, a portion of my life <laughs> <laughs> gotcha it does for me too um so spiritual starting with uh working with sorry spiritual group starting in the building um, you felt it was sort of an easy transition into Oddfellows esotericness. Well, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm fond of 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 strange old traditions. You know, that's uh, that's got an aesthetic appeal to me. So, um, and I was I was captivated really by the 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 structure and ideals of Oddfellowship. It seemed a um, as as uh, out of step with the times as it often seemed, it seemed like what was needed today. There, there was obviously a desperate need for um, for this kind of community that was not, you know, not organized around religion and not organized necessarily around a common interest um, or, a, or any kind any kind of commercial production. You know, it's just organized around these ideals of mutual aid and how do we get along with each other and how do we create a sustainable society? And, um, you know, that, that was very exciting to me because it was, uh, it was like an ongoing experiment. There, there, you know, still isn't any particular sense that we're going to uh, succeed on any great level. But, um, 
but I think, uh, but the the potential is there, and it's and we are, we're a very good example of what the world needs. In 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 my you know not so humble opinion, as they say. Well, that's well said. So then you do spend more time in Odd Fellows, but in an encampment. Well, I, I'm uh, I'm interested in the encampment because I don't think it gets the kind of attention that it it might uh, it might get. You know, I, I went through a lot of the I went through a lot of the offices and Odd Fellows went through the chairs, and we um, we kind of rebooted the encampment in our lodge, which was had uh, had faded away. And we reestablished a uh, an encampment that had, had been there in the building before, and um, it felt like the encampment was not necessarily fulfilling its role in a lot of ways. That it had become just kind of another lodge to belong to, with its own charitable efforts and whatnot. And when we uh, rebooted the encampment, we really made a conscious decision to not have it be, not have it, not have it have um, outer work as a focus and really concentrate on the, on researching the ideals of odd fellowship and be having a, a safe place where people who had experience in the lodge were able to um, confer with each other about, are we bringing this stuff to life? Are we doing this right? How could we do better? And, you know, not be distracted by, uh, not be distracted by uh, the business of the lodge and the building. And, uh, you know, having a building is a, is a hugely, um, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it takes a lot of time and effort. Yeah, a blessing and an obligation. I think um, every hall that uh, has to be maintained and that's uh, of a certain vintage, it probably uh, racks up a lot of time and money. But let's talk about your project. So let me get everyone up to speed here. So uh, I was put on to you uh, through a wonderful email and it came to uh, info at moderngoatrider.com. And I patched through to Michael because Michael's doing a book, a certain kind of book. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the development of it and the idea? Well, we just finished a, a comic book. It's, it's short. It's a 16 page comic book. And it deals with um, some of the origins of the golden rule degree in the encampment. And the golden rule degree has changed a lot. Over the uh, over the years, more than more so, I think, than uh, many of many of the degrees. And um, I've I've always been uh, fascinated by how these how these rituals come about. You know, somebody actually sits down and writes them at some point. And um, I had this image of uh, John Entwistle, who was one of the first um, Odd Fellows in North America. Um, who and was really the architect of the early degree work, and did a uh, uh, his work was then um, even adopted by the home lodges in England, and um, you know was very influential there. So I was I was interested in particularly in this one story 
that was used uh, that is no longer part of the uh, Golden Rule degree, but um, at that time was of Abraham and the fire worshiper, where, you know, it's a sort of pseudo biblical story where um, Abraham receives as a guest. There were, there's a there's a tradition about Abraham that he would not eat unless he had a guest. So uh, there came a time where he was, um, you know, guestless for some time. Nobody in his household had eaten for days. So he went out into the desert to uh, look for somebody <laughs> that he could host and brought, brought, brought an old man back. And, um, well, long story short, uh, found that he was of a different religion and would not praise Abraham's God, so kicked him out of the tent. And then um, God appears to him and says, or the angel of God, and says, um, that's, that's, not the way, that's not the way we're going to do it, and, uh, and gives a message of tolerance. And this story, uh, there was a note in one of the Odd Fellows manuals that uh, it was, was a story that Benjamin Franklin used to tell at parties and pretend it was a, uh, a passage from Genesis, and he had a sort of uh, pseudo-biblical version of it memorized, and he would pick up a Bible and open it up to Genesis and recite this story as though he were reading as a, as a way of, uh, you know, basically as a party joke to, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, fool these people who, uh, who thought they knew the Bible, as it were. And this story, which is really a, a story about religious toleration, I started tracing it back and trying to figure out how it came to uh, John Entwistle. And eventually I found the farthest back I could trace it was to a uh, 13th century uh, Sufi book from Persia. And, uh, and, went, and so I, I, I did this comic book as a way to sort of share the story of this research, which um, passed through a lot of different places and cultures and was translated um, into different uh, into different milieu. And, um, and in a way, the, the way that this story traveled was an example of the point of the story itself, that these, um, these ideals are universal that um, that we are all the better for sharing them, and um, and sharing our beliefs and being being open and hospitable with each other. So I, I wanted to put these together as a well as a comic book, just because I was uh, I'd never done a comic book before, and um, and I'd had that idea in my head. So. Um, and, and a comic book gives you a lot of freedom narratively to sort of jump back and forth in time and space and, and jump uh, between different storylines. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's the, uh, that was kind of the origin and, uh, of, uh, of that whole idea. So you've shared a couple pages with me and, and you've also answered the question of, you know, this is your first. So uh, what is your description of the um, style and the uh, genre, I guess? But it's pretty unique. There's not a lot of encampment uh, segmented uh, comic books out there. Yeah. And um, 
I I I I was uh one of the one of the the style. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it, it looks to me sort of like a um uh sort of like an underground comic of the of the 70s. But I'm not a I'm not really a scholar at this. The um I worked with my brother as the artist and he's he's got a very unique style that I thought would I that I thought would play well with the with the content. You know, it's it's a um one of the uh it, you can you, if you combine um if you combine text and graphics, you can get away with a lot a lot more than you could otherwise. You know, people I think people will have patience with uh getting through some of the some of the more uh you know, 19th century style text. Well, you can go, you have incentive to go back to it and kind of look at it and let it, uh, let it, let it sit, sit in your mind, you know? So as the story being the forgotten encampment story or the no longer used encampment story, you've probably given yourself a little protection from revealing secrets. Yeah, that's a thing. That's it. That's a thing. One of the, um, that was uh, there. There's lines there you don't want to cross, and it's uh, it's sometimes a little fuzzy where the lines are. Certainly, um, it's no secret, for instance, that the first degree of Odd Fellowship involves the story of Jonathan and David. The uh, so you can talk about you can talk about the degree uh, by talking about the story of Jonathan and David without. Um, revealing anything um, in the degree itself. One of the ways that I got around this was using old Oddfellows text. Um, you know, I was particularly reliant on um, Ridgely's history of Oddfellowship in America and the uh, and Grosha's Oddfellows manual. So, you know, I sort of let them do the uh, heavy lifting as far as what was appropriate to reveal and what wasn't, uh, figuring that anything that was um, that had been published in the 19th century in an official Odd Fellows uh, public presentation was fair game. Right, that's interesting um, because I think the risk of taking something so close to and so personal to members, from what I've seen, it looks good. It looks really well, uh, well executed. Uh, did uh, Grand Lodges or anyone, Grand Patriarch, uh, participate with you on this? No, um, I haven't. Uh, I have not worked with the, uh, you know, it's, it, these are strange times. <laughs> you know, we didn't have a, we didn't have an annual meeting this year. Um, I'm currently the uh, Grand High Priest in the, uh, in the Washington Grand Encampment. Um, so it's also something that I felt I could do in, um, in fulfillment of that role, uh, because I'm not traveling right now, so I, I can't really visit, visit the, uh, the encampments, but I felt it was a good time to do some, uh, you know, deep research into our roots and really, um, have an appreciation of that. And I, I, I really, uh, I, I really want 
us both as odd fellows and uh, and patriarchs to appreciate where we come from and and the um the ideas that we hold because they're very uh they have you know they have not they have not lost their relevance uh tolerance of uh, of other people's beliefs and respect for the uh inherent dignity of other people's consciences um you know these, these are not a. uh, uh we need these now just as much as ever. And it's good, it's good to really realize that we've been holding on to this uh, for a long time. And and for a long time before that, you know, it's it's uh, these are uh, you know, these the people who told this story in Persia in the 13th century, you know, the people who told it in Germany in the 16th century, the people who told it in Scotland in the 17th century these are our ancestors and um yeah i i uh, i think it's good to recognize them and um and realize that uh we are we are carrying a legacy that has um uh, uh both a history and a responsibility really well said like i'm fascinated by everything you've said there um on the project itself where do you go now What's next on it? Well, that's a good question. I'm not, I'm, uh, I was really, as I said, I'd never done this before. So I had no idea if it would be, uh, if it would be successful or what kind of um, uh, reaction I would get. And I was, uh, I was very happy with it. And I've been very uh, gratified by the reactions that I've, I've gotten so far. So um I am going to uh, continue working in this vein, I think, and I'm going to, I have a project in the works for a, a graphic novel length work um, about a fictional fraternal order. Part of that is, is that I want to, I want to uh, sidestep, uh, I want to deal with some of the issues of how a fraternal order works, you know, what are the internal politics like how can we do a good job of transmitting the um the gift that we've been given to the next generation and i wanted to deal with all of that uh without having to uh, deal with these questions that we talked about of uh how much can i say about this you know without revealing something that i shouldn't so i'm going i'm going to work with a with a fictional fraternal order for that, but it's it's definitely going to deal with the issues and um, and uh, lessons that have come up from um, from my uh, involvement with Odd Fellowship. And I would love to continue to do things, you know, little uh, little projects that directly relate uh, to the Odd Fellows tradition because you know that's uh, that's my home. Right. So we name of this current uh, comic book is uh, True Fraternity, True Fraternity. And how do we get it? How do I get my copy? Well, that's a really good question because <laughs> I haven't set up a distribution network yet. OK, but everybody's asking me that. So that's that's certainly the next step. And within the next week or so, I'll uh, I'll keep you in the loop. Well, fantastic. We'll post you up on our uh, website and uh, give you as uh, much press as we can give you because I thought uh, I thought the first three pages you sent me were excellent. 
Thank you very much. So thank you for taking the time. I hope you have a good day and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, and I want I want to thank you for what you're doing. I, I just discovered you last week and listened to a couple of, of your podcasts. And I listened to another one this morning. And uh, you know, you and uh and Toby, Toby is my lodge brother here in Seattle, um, are doing uh, amazing work. I, I think getting getting the word out and get making this a wider conversation is uh, hugely valuable. So thank you. Thank you. That was Michael Douglas, and we reached him in Seattle, Washington. Keep your eye on ModernGoatRider.com to be one of the first to see his comic. COVID has affected a lot of lodges initiation plans and Josh connects with Chris Daniels, a candidate who's been treading water for months, waiting for his first day to become an odd fellow. So Chris, when did uh, you first hear about the odd fellows? I uh, first heard about the odd fellows on November 26th, 2019. Uh, it's a funny story around that. I was um, a couple of days before then I was sitting at work and, feeling a little bit disconnected from my purpose in life. And I felt this, this uh, intuitive calling to go to the ocean and go swimming. And as it turned out, I went home that day and my partner, Jenna told me about a lunch date. She went out on a fr- with a friend named Drew Erickson and he had just told her that he'd been swimming in the ocean for a week. And uh, it was like the bee's knees. So the next thing I know, Drew reaches out to me on Instagram and the next morning, I was at the ocean meeting with Andy, Russ, Kevin, and Drew to go for a swim in the ocean. And that's the first time I heard of the Oddfellows. And what was it about um, that experience or what those guys told you that made you want to become an Oddfellow? It was the, uh, the social connectedness. I believe social connectedness to be one of those... Uh, one of those things that is, uh, it's uh, sorely lacking for a lot of people. And it was sorely lacking for myself. I mean, I have my family, I have my, um, my, my love at home and, but I didn't have anything outside of that. And being new to Victoria, just in, in that year, um, I was missing out on a lot of that. So, um, when I met these guys in the water doing the thing that I like to do, I felt like I felt so connected and like so, so much love and, and friendship and fun. And, and I just wanted a little bit more of that. These guys were so welcoming right away. And um, what was the next part of the process for you? Did um, they inquire if you wanted to become an odd fellow or did you inquire about becoming an odd fellow? Uh, they, uh, they asked me if I was interested uh, that first day. Drew uh, let me know that they had a, a group called the odd fellows. And if I was interested in coming and checking it out sometime to let them know. And it wasn't too long after that that I did go visit the hall at, uh, I don't remember the day, it was in December. 
I went with Drew and we checked it out for the first time for myself. And, and I thought it was pretty cool. It was neat to, to meet so many people that were uh, like a variety of different uh, backgrounds. And uh, yeah, it's really sweet. So in December last year, you came to the hall. And at that point, you realized you wanted to be an odd fellow. Did Drew say that he was going to sponsor you? Was that the, the plan? Uh, I don't recall if that if that was uh, what came up. I assume I'm assuming that that's where we were going. And um, we proceeded. They proceeded. Most of the uh, interviewing committee um, is in the water, so they uh, you, they they proceeded to interview you uh, day after day while you guys were swimming. Is that kind of what you felt was happening? Yeah, that's what I felt was happening. I thought I, I came out of the water. I usually leave it a little bit earlier than the other guys. They stay in a little longer as I was rushing off to work. But I remember hearing them talk in the water about uh, interview dates and something about it. And then someone said, well, we interview him every day. He's he's in. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so that's uh, that was my uh, yeah. My initial impression was that I was being interviewed every day. Right. So then, uh, so we had a plan to uh, vote on you and initiate you this year, but of course, uh, COVID hits and all of that gets postponed. Um, how do you feel about the fact that we've kind of postponed the initiation rather than trying to go ahead with it um, in a, on Zoom or over video? What, what are your I, I thoughts feel, on that? I feel okay with that. I mean, considering the state of the world and everything that's going on right now, I think this is a good way to, to move forward. I'm, I'm happy. I was never in doubt that something was going to happen. I wasn't worried. Um, I knew that we would connect in some way or another. So I'm super grateful that you thought of me. Well, it's, um, you know, one of the things I think that our lodge does really well is our initiation. And um, I know that when it was done for me, it was pretty a lasting impression. So we're hoping that uh, the initiates understand that we just don't want to shortchange them on that initiation process. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I love it. This is great. <laughs> so yeah, what we're calling this is the longest interview ever um, process. So you've gone, it's been a year. How have you connected to the lodge over this year of kind of you being in limbo between uh, being an interviewee and initiate and then becoming a brother? Well, in January, I went to the Robbie Burns dinner as a, an attendee. I participated in, uh, in viewing all the festivities. And, and I, I can't remember the date that I was supposed to have an interview. I, I don't know if it was February or January, but I had showed up at the lodge and it turned out that, um, that the interviews weren't happening that night. So um, I think we just uh, crossed our wires the wrong way and didn't line up. And that was totally okay. But I after feel like, COVID, I feel like I've seen you in the lodge like several times, you know, yeah. since, since the first time. And uh, so often that I almost forgot that you were initiate and thought you were you had become a brother. Because <laughs> I'm in all the yeah, I'm all the in all the oddballs photos. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's Hang it. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Hanging uh, with the guys. <laughs> tell us about the oddballs, too. And like I, that's it's really interesting that that's the way that you found us was through that. And one of the, it's probably the healthiest thing that our lodge does. Um, do you want to expound on uh, positive things that have happened from cold water therapy in your life, maybe what you've seen in others, and then uh, how 
doing something healthy with a bunch of men who are in the same mindset kind of, you know, does bring connection and community? Mm. Well, um, I, th- I find it, uh, the synchronicity with, um, having met the oddballs doing something that, that I love to do. I found, I, I find the magic to that. It's, uh, pretty sweet that, um, I was just, uh, sitting, thinking about going in the cold water and then these guys just manifested before me a couple days later doing something that uh, is so good for your health and that so little people really understand beyond just the, the well, like, I would never do that because it's totally scary. From what I understand, Andy started uh, swimming in the ocean in the summer of 2019. And uh, a few of the guys caught on to what he was doing and wanted to go out and try it too. And I think it, they were Russ and Kevin and Drew were roughly just maybe within a couple of weeks of myself joining. So it was really synchronous. The synchronicity of that was uh, there's such a magic to that. And so I've been practicing cold thermogenesis for many years, but never to the extent that I do now. It was more of a, an intermittent thing um, that I would use for um, uh, healing injuries or recovering from intense exercise or you know, putting a cold compress on a sore, a sore muscle to alleviate pain. And I never, for years, I never thought of it beyond that, but I became interested in the mind benefit, the, the resilience that you can uh, gain, uh, mental fortitude that became really popular with the, the rise of Wim Hof and the popularity in his method. As it turns out, cold thermogenesis has been around forever. <laughs> People have been practicing it for a long time to promote uh, better health. And there are many benefits and, and many scientific uh, uh, studies based on, on, uh, on, the, on the benefits too to back it up. So uh, for myself, uh, feeling the way I was feeling at the time, dislocated from my purpose, I, I intuitively knew to go to the cold because it's was always a source for me to, to come back to myself and, and get back into the present versus past and future thinking. And so the big benefit for me has always been an increase in mood and a, a, a sort of a, an alleviation of depression. Um, as I'm through the winter months, I tend to, to suffer from seasonal affective disorder. And uh, the added benefit of doing it with a group of people doing the hard thing is uh, the benefit. I, I feel there's a, a greater return on the benefit to share the shared connectedness of uh, getting through a hard endeavor. So for myself, it was the mood. And, and some of the things that I've noticed over the last year as people have come aboard is, is definitely the mood. It's the, the mood and happiness. And the, it's like they talk about getting into sunshine every day and we're in the north and we don't have a lot of that during the winter months. So our, our moods are, are affected by it. But I've heard, I've heard a few people um, mention how they got through their depression in the winter last year because of this cold water swimming. And uh, there are scientific studies based on, on uh, the mood boost that you get from cold uh, thermogenesis. It increases the neurotransmitter norepinephrine, which is associated with better mood focus and attention. And in absence of that neurotransmitter, we're often 
we're often become more depressed, lower energy, um, less focused. So with the cold, you are, um, you're acquiring a balancing of your neurotransmitters where you're able to become more resilient, um, almost, uh, harder to kill. So to say, I think it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. That combination of both, um, you know, not only the science behind the cold water therapy, but also the fact that you're doing it with a group of people. Um, mm. I, I, you can absolutely see, see it in the videos and the pictures of you guys, you know, how happy and connected and, uh, yeah, the, uh, the compu- complete opposite of depressed because both connection and yeah, those neurotransmitters, it's just, it's, it's really inspiring to watch you guys. And I've heard so much from so many people about, uh, all the benefits from it. So it's great. It's such a cool connection. And I'm so glad that you're going to be uh, part of our lodge soon. Is there anything that you're looking forward to once you become an odd fellow? <laughs> Hopefully in this next year. Well, I'm, I'm super excited to uh, be a part of a, a group of people where I can share my passion and my purpose. I mean, ultimately our purpose is, is tied up in what we're passionate about. And when we get to share our passion authentically with other people to help lift them up, our purpose is fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm most excited about. My passion lies in health, wellness, and happiness and longevity. And to be able to, to share it with a group of people that are open and willing to grow, that excites me big time. I get to share what I do. Cool. Um, and, and, to, and to learn from others too. Right. I mean, things that, was, that I don't know. That was going to be one of my questions too, is like, do you know, is there stuff that you do know about uh, the independent order of odd fellows? Have you done any research? Have you looked into that at all? Just mm-hmm. a little bit. And I know that um, FLT stands for friendship, love, and trust. Um, oh, where the, yeah. Not trust. Not trust. Oh, no. Truth. Yeah, there you go. Beautiful. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you're just an initiate now. You know, still, still <laughs> learning, still learning. This is part of the process. And uh, we're the independent order of Oddfellows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, uh, got it. Yeah, and then we're a charitable organization. Yeah, and I think the dedication to lifting humanity. That's good. That's good. Uh, fraternal order. So here we are. We're here to take care of each other first, and then the community next. That's uh, you know that's the big thing is that we do take care of each other first. But uh, yeah, I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to um, initiating you. I'm looking forward to learning from you. I am looking forward to teaching you and I think you're going to be an amazing part of our lodge. So thanks a lot for joining us on the show. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, we'll do do it again soon. I know um, uh, we're going to be doing some other kind of themed shows and I know that you could, uh, you'll be a big part of one of them. I know. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm grateful. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Talk to you soon, Josh. That was Chris Daniels of Esquimalt, British Columbia whose candidate interview may have just ended with a modern goat rider episode. Thanks for listening and thanks to all our guests. If you have a question or an idea for the show, reach us at info at moderngoatrider.com. Josh and I'll be back again soon with another episode making Oddfellows discoveries and seeing the Oddfellowship all around us. Cheers in FLT.